Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to open up your word together. And I pray that you, you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts up to you even as we open up your word up to us. Lord, I pray that you, you work in us your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I've said it before, and, and I, will, I will say it again, that a, a, an amazing number of emergency room visits begin with the concept, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, right? Um, it's an amazing number of things where people are like, well, it seemed like our truck was going the same speed that their truck was, and if I, if I jump from the back of our truck into the back of their truck, it's, actually, I had a friend that did this. If I, if I jump from the back of my pickup truck to the back of his pickup truck, it should be fine, because, you know, momentum. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Jonah had what seemed like a good idea at the time. If you don't want to do what God wants you to do, run from God and hide from him. Because then you don't have to do what you didn't want to do. That works, right? Just avoid it. Try that for a couple of years with your taxes. See how the federal government likes that. I don't feel like paying taxes. Oh, then you don't have to. Just don't do it. That never works. In any part of your life, it never works to just go, well, there's something I should do, but I don't feel like doing it, so I'm just going to run away, stick my head in a hole. And then somehow, it'll all get better. It just will. It doesn't work. For example, trying to run away from God. If you say, I, if I just don't think about God, then apparently he will forget to think about me. Shades of Hitchhiker's Guide. You know, if I just, if I don't think about him, he won't think about me and everything will be fine. Seemed like a good idea at the time until you get eaten by a fish, right? Which cannot be the way he intended that day to go. You, it is not what he thought when he got into the boat and said, I'm just going to go take a nap in the hold. It's not going to work like that. So remember where we left off last time in the book of Jonah. And if you haven't already done that, open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And let's look at this. We just got finished saying that he, he was told to go to Nineveh and he, instead he decided to go to Spain. He went exactly the opposite direction and God sent a big storm to stop the ship. Jonah didn't preach, he didn't pray, he didn't do anything the prophet is supposed to do because he's in the process of hiding from all of that. But he did tell the sailors to throw him into the ocean because that's going to calm the sea. So in Jonah chapter 1 verse 15, the sailors... Eventually, they fought the urge for an extended period of time, but eventually they did what he said. They took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea immediately grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, greatly feared Yahweh. Not just that great God that did whatever, this specific God. And I think I would too. If, if, if Jonah says, I have specifically torqued off Yahweh and if you throw me into the sea, it'll be all right. And they throw him into the sea and it goes, whoosh. They prayed to Marduk, they prayed to Ishtar, they prayed to Molech, they prayed to everybody. Apparently, Yahweh was the guy. So they made, they offered sacrifices to Yahweh. They made vows to Yahweh. In part because they probably figured, I just, we just killed his prophet. But in part because they came to believe in him. In spite of Jonah, God is using him to reach people he had no interest in reaching which is kind of a theme in this book. He had no interest in reaching these guys, and God used him to make a difference. But as it turns out, Jonah's not dead. In fact, Yahweh provided a great fish to swallow him. And we talked about this last time. The fish is a gift. When I was a kid, I used to think that the, the fish was a punishment. 
Jonah did a bad thing, and so God sent a fish to punish him. Fish is not a punishment. It's a gift. It's God's great provision to help him. It saved Jonah's life. So maybe, maybe I should unpack something I ended with last time. Rewind a couple centuries. God's people are in the wilderness, and they're starving. They're starving so much they're like, ah, oh, I wish we could just go back and be slaves. It was so much better. So God provided them this complex carbohydrate out of nowhere. Do you remember what it was called? Manna, right? In fact, they didn't know what it was, so they literally said, let's call it, what on earth is this stuff? Which is what manna literally means. What, what is this? And because people are, well us it immediately became the brand name you know it every morning you go hey look it's more of the what is it you know it's like manna so every day they got this uh, and being human after a while if you get the same provision every day of free food you come to despise it right because anytime you're given anything if you're not given better and better and better according to your estimation of better, you will tend to find that that provision is no longer a provision, it's an expectation, it's a right, it's an entitlement, and if it doesn't keep getting better, people aren't helping you the way they should. God isn't helping you the way he should. So people got upset because they got sick of the free food. And they said, oh, I wish we could go back to being slaves again. You're like, really, really, really? Is you're gonna keep beating that drum over and over again? Yes, yes, the answer is yes. That's exactly what you're going to do. Amazingly, God's people didn't appreciate God's provision of manna. They didn't appreciate that it was a blessing instead of, well, not as good as what I wanted. Fast forward several centuries to Jonah. Hebrew had several words that mean some version of to provide. In fact, the top like, hmm, three or four words comprise like 2,000 instances in the Bible where God provides, where people are provided with something. There's one rare little word that's only used to mean provide some version of that five times in Scripture. Four of those times are in the book of Jonah. Normally it just means to count out or to reckon, like you're counting out seeds and things. But in Jonah it's specifically used to mean to provide. Almost like the writer of Jonah, who we already know, is a wordsmith. He loves his little turns of phrase and things. Almost as if he's using this word on purpose. He's coining it as a provision word. That verb is manna. Now, it is technically not related to the manna carbohydrate. Etymologically, they're two totally different words, but they sound exactly the same when you say them out loud. Almost as if the writer of Jonah is like, hey, Remember when they got this provision of manna in the desert and they didn't come to appreciate it as a blessing? Instead, they complained about it? God's going to manna a lot of things in this book. He's going to provide a lot of things. And they're not going to be things that you're automatically going to appreciate or you're not going to keep appreciating. Because let me ask you this. Have you ever had a gift fish in your life? Have you ever had things that you just go, yeah, I would not have asked for that. By the way, the answer to that is yes. I guarantee that you've had things in your life that you say, well, I didn't want that, I never would have asked for that, but I realized it actually helped. I got a horrible, horrible cold, and as a result of that, I couldn't go do this. 
thing that turned out to be a really horrible thing that I should never have even contemplated doing. I had a horrible disaster, a great calamity in my life. And as a result of that, it forced me on my knees to pray to God, and I really got my life right with the Lord. I don't know. Are there things that God has allowed in your life that you say, I would have never asked for this, and yet it actually grew you closer to the Lord? It actually made you a better person. It actually helped you in the long run. I mean, I can even look at things like COVID-19. I would have never asked for that. People died. Our church is still dealing with the ripple effects of, of procedures that are messed up because of COVID-19. So nothing good ever came from this, right? Actually, hopefully lots of things did. Hopefully there are a lot of things where we stopped and went, wait a minute, is church just a building? Is church just the things that we get used to over decades? Or is church the community of the saints, the family that we are worshiping together, discipling together? I need to stop and actually think about the things that I have taken for granted for decades. Oh, then it becomes something of a gift fish. doesn't mean it's pleasant sitting inside of a fish belly. You ever sat inside of a fish belly? Can't imagine it's fun. Can it still have blessing in it? Can it be, still be something that you praise God for the blessings within it? That can be hard. Jonah sort of does. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, and i got to stop there again, okay. It's a fish. It's a great big monster fish, okay. I don't know what kind of fish it is. It's megalodon. I don't know. I have no clue what kind of fish it is. But it's not a whale. And, and it's important to understand that it's not a whale. Um, I know that the Greek translation of this, the word that they use there can be whale. And that's, I think, where the problem arose. It can mean whale, but it always just means big fish, whale, sea critter thing. It's a, I don't know what it is. It's a big thing in the sea word in Greek. Hebrew actually has at least two words for whale, and this isn't one of them. This is great big stinking fish in Hebrew, okay? So this great big stinking fish thing, I go into that for two reasons. Number one, um, because I'm forever running into people who go, you do realize that the Bible's not true. It says that a whale swallowed Jonah. Whales don't swallow people. I'm like, okay, well, sperm whale theoretically could. I saw it in Pinocchio. Secondly, it's not a whale! <laughs> but the other reason why I think it's important is because I'm a big detail freak. And I really like the idea that when you read your Bible, you actually read it. I like the idea that when we tell a Bible story, we include the details that the Bible tells in the Bible story. I know, I know, I know. Who cares about the details? Hey, remember... Remember the other week when, when Gwyneth taught and she shared about that time when Jesus was talking to the woman about whether or not he can actually do things for people who aren't Jews? And there's that classic verse that's quoted, you know, let the, let the children first be filled, right? There's a classic 1795 edition of the Bible where there was a misprint and it went out that way. Let the children first be killed. Details matter, okay? Details matter. So, it's not a whale, it's a fish. So, in the middle of this fish belly, Jonah prays to the Lord his God, to Yahweh his God, because he is such a devout follower of Yahweh, right? Now, is, is our writer being sarcastic here? You know, oh, because he's so good at this. Or is he trying to emphasize he should have been doing this the whole time? Or yes to both. 
He should totally have been doing this, but he hasn't been. This is the first we hear of him praying. As far as we can tell, he didn't pray when he heard God's direction. In fact, he, he didn't even try to discuss it. He just disregarded it. He didn't pray when the storm came up. He didn't even notice it until they woke him up. He didn't pray when the pagans begged him to pray, to call on his God. He wouldn't do it. He didn't even pray when he told them to throw him overboard. He would rather die than talk to God about this stuff. That's where he's at. It wasn't until he's in the water, literally sinking to his death, seaweed wrapped around his face. That's when he finally prays. And I wish I could say that there's no application there for us today. But how many times have you run into people who are like, well, it's not that big a deal. You know, I, I don't need to really, you know, hey, would you like to pray about it? Oh, it's not really that big a deal. I can handle it. Or, this, or conversely, go, well, I guess at this point, all that we can do is pray. Both of those are running on the assumption that prayer is what you do as a last resort when you, when you realize that maybe you can't do it all just yourself. Hint. You can never just do it all yourself. You can never just do it right all yourself. And to God, there is no such thing as a big deal or a little deal. It's all just relatively small things for him to do. There's nothing where he's like, I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves to do this one. Now that Jonah's finally in a fish belly, he's finally going to be praying. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called to Yahweh, and he answered me, which is interesting because that seems to be the biggest weirdness to him. Giant storm? No, I got that. That's just God getting my attention. Fish comes up and eat me? I go, huh. What's the thing that sticks with him? God actually answered me. That's the thing that throws him. Here I am, sinking down. I call out to God. Eh, is that a prayer? Might be a prayer. Might be a Hail Mary pass. Kind of a, yeah! Seaweed. I don't know. But as I'm sinking down, I call to you, and immediately this fish swam up and saved me by eating me. It's totally throwing Jonah. Not that the fish ate him, but that God would actually respond. Because think about it, Jonah has run from the Lord. He's sinned, and yet God somehow still cares whether he lives or dies. God still somehow listens to him. Why? I mean, that would require grace. But that's a New Testament thing, right? Old Testament God is mean. New Testament God is nice. Or is God the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? I'm pretty sure if God is gracious in the New Testament, he's gracious in the Old Testament. I seem to remember having read that somewhere. But remember this for the weeks to come. Jonah couldn't understand why God could care about a sinner like him. Or Nineveh. How could God... God listens to me? It, threw, it throws me. Because this, this book is all about... God's love. It's all about not just a fish, not just a storm, not just a boat, but about God's grace towards people who arguably don't deserve it. Including grace toward a prophet who thought he could decide who deserves it or not. But he says, from the depths of the grave, literally from the belly of the grave, he said, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I was in the belly of the grave, now I'm in the belly of a fish. It's actually a couple different words, but still, this idea of belly to belly. You actually listened to me. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I mean, you were mad at me. 
Even the pagans knew that you were mad at me, and that's not a good thing. But then you cared. And the, and the difference is I actually maybe talked to you. Actually maybe called out to you finally. Humbled myself. I'm reminded of Psalm 51 where we're told that the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken heart. We'll sing a, a song sometimes where we talk about brokenness. Brokenness is what I long for. And sometimes that can be, sometimes we don't really think about the words. And if we do, sometimes that can be really hard to wrap our heads around. Do I want to be broken? Yeah. Actually, in a healthy sort of way, yeah. That's exactly what we should be praying for. That's exactly what we should be singing for. We should desire that God break our spirits like a cowboy breaks a horse. Not break it so that it's broken and shattered, but to get us past our own self-destructive, maverick, do-it-myself, do-it-my-way willfulness. I wanted to teach my dog not to go outside without a leash on because for him to run off on his own is dangerous. And he finally was like, oh, I get it. Now, he, even if we open the door, he'll stand at the door and look up at you like, I'd like to go out. I need the clippy thingy. I need a leash so that I can go out. I have a feeling he thinks he's now disciplining me. Leash time, you know. <laughs> but I didn't break his will. Oh, he would have loved to just bound it out and get hit by a car. I didn't break his will. But like a cowboy breaks a horse, like I would break in my old uh, baseball mitt. The idea is saying, what you do when you're running off on your, on your own, that is self-destructive. God wants to be able to use you. Brokenness is what he's longing for. Not shattered to pieces, but cracking that inflexible back. Of course, you could read these, with, these verses with a, a, a different inflection than I did. You could say that Jonah says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, where the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. It may not be that he's even focusing on the sea. He might be focusing on the God who hurled him, the God who hurled the waves, the God who hurled the storm, the God who, who owns the waves. This is not about, it's not about Jonah doing his thing. It's not even about the, the pagans throwing him over. This is about, no, God tossed him into the sea. This is about God's sovereignty. So Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight. I apparently successfully hid from you. I, no, you didn't. I, you couldn't even see me. I totally saw you. Couldn't even see me. I'm just, look, look, you can't see me at all. No, I totally see you totally. Yet I will again, I will look again toward your holy... T you couldn't see me, but I will look at you. I will look at you, he says, with tremendous amounts of... <coughs> sincerity and brokenness and selfish self-aggrandizement. You couldn't see me, but I will look at you. I ran away from you and hid, Lord, and that didn't work. And, and somehow you actually still want to be with me. You still want to find me, so I will look to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. You thought I made that part up. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Which is an interesting word again because it's, it's an actual legal term in Hebrew. It's this idea of, of um, irrevocable deciding. It's, it's, 
I'm trapped forever. There is absolutely no chance for parole. Nothing can be done. It would take a miracle to change this. But, I'm irrevocably lost. But, you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Yahweh, my God. A grace that somehow flabbergasted him because he's like, there's no way that anybody could save me and somehow you did. Somehow you wanted to. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh. I think that's technically more God is remembering him. But yeah, I remembered you under these circumstances. When everything was at its worst, I finally went, all right, I acknowledge that I need God, which makes me special. He's like, does it? Really, do you want to wait until it's, you're literally seaweed wrapping around your head? That's when you remember God and you want credit for, well, you kind of get some credit. But let me tell you, if you were to wait like that in your relationships, in your marriages, and as a, as a parent, in your friendships, you know that things are getting bad and you wait until they are so bad you don't even want to speak to the other person and it looks like everything is completely falling apart and that's when you say, well, I guess maybe I'll work on it. Hint, it's going to be hard. Don't do that. That's an unhealthy place to be. Maybe work on it when you go, I don't like where this is going. Start working on it then. Maybe work maintenance before it even goes to that point. So you never get to that point. Jonah says, well, when it finally got to the point where I refused to even talk to God, refused to do what he wanted me to do, refused, went exactly the opposite direction, wouldn't repent, wouldn't even pray when pagan sailors say, could you please pray? And I said, no. And then I was drowning. I said, okay, God. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, like the incensey prayers of revelation that the angels love. I, I, I'm sorry. If it sounds like I'm being disrespectful toward Jonah, it's because I have zero respect for Jonah. If it sounds like I am dismissing his prayer, it's because it's a dismissible prayer. The whole thing is eloquent. It's beautiful. In the Hebrew, it's like a, it's like a poem. I don't know. Do you just normally speak in poems to people? That's normally what you do? Poems are great. Love poetry. Talk to me sometime about Alexander Pope. Love poetry. But if your first prayer is an eloquently designed poem, perhaps you're more about this artifice than you are about the reality of your relationship. This is a beautiful poem. And I've heard some people say, oh, I'm too far gone to pray to the Lord. And, and you don't want to say, oh, maybe. You want to say, there's no such thing as too far gone. There's no such thing as too far into the depths. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. I, w I don't know how to pray. You're talking to me. Talk to him. I don't know any prayers to share with him. This isn't something you memorize. Just talk to him. Communicate with God. He's wanting to communicate with you. But he does this beautiful, eloquent prayer. He says, those who cling to worthless idols, Jonah prays. Actually, the word, he kind of coins a word here that means uh, like emptiness, hollow, empty puffs of air kind of thing. Not the same word that, uh, that Solomon used in Ecclesiastes, but he says, those who cling to these worthless poofs, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have 
but I have vowed I will make good. They've turned from God, and people who have turned from God don't deserve grace. They forfeit it, right? Dictionary with me for a moment. Does anybody deserve grace? The whole point of the word grace is an undeserved, unmerited favor. You can't deserve grace. They don't deserve it. They have forfeited this. Not me. But they have. Has Jonah's theology changed at all? He ran to Spain because he didn't want to see Nineveh repent. He didn't want to see them forgiven because they didn't deserve it. He still thinks they don't. Those pagan sailors didn't deserve it. People in Nineveh don't deserve it. Those who cling to these worthless poofs forfeit God's grace. They, they can't get it. They haven't earned it like I have. Again, what's this book about? I mean, it's got a ship and a storm and a fish. But what's it about? It's about grace. It's about how he couldn't apply grace. And God is saying, that's exactly why I'm sending you, is to apply grace. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus gives centuries later, where he's talking about a servant who owed his master millions upon millions of dollars. And the master says, I'm going to throw you into debtor's prison. And he's like, no, 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 I'll pay back every cent, which, of course, there's no way he's ever going to be able to do that. And so the master has grace on him and shows grace and says you know what i forgive the debt there's no way you're ever going to pay this back i i just i'm not being patient i'm being totally forgiving and so the servant went out found another servant that owed him a couple months wages and said i'm going to throw you in prison you and your family so you can pay this back and you go well how how can you do that you ever wondered how can you do that what's the disconnect the disconnect is I deserved it. I deserved to be forgiven. I promised I would pay it back, and the guy said, you're such a good servant, I forgive you. She doesn't deserve to be forgiven. My fellow servant doesn't. But I deserve it. But they don't. That's how I can sleep at night. The rules are different. Beloved, that can't be the way we think. We cannot be so ingracious that if somebody is forgiven for something, we can't take joy in that we can't if we are forgiven we have to extend that toward others we have to sit and go i've been given this tremendous debt of course i'm extending that toward all those around me i can never just not care about that i can never do that this fellow servant fell, fell to his knees and begged him be patient said the exact same thing the guy had no no grace at all and so his his master the king went back and threw the first guy into prison and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours. I have canceled so much debt. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I want you to remember that as we continue on in Jonah. Because that gets really germane, even down to that last verse in Jonah. You appreciated what I did for you. Don't you want me to extend that to other people? Don't you? Or do you deserve what they don't? Jonah says, those who cling to these empty puffs of breath 
forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good because I'm so trustworthy. Salvation comes from Yahweh. Because he knows that, because he remembers that that's what Joel said, right? He remembers that that's what the psalm said. The psalm, and, 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 and Joel's quoting from Psalm 103 when he says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to Yahweh your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Joel's like, that's a good thing. Jonah's like, I know that's true, and I'd like it applied to my case. He was swallowed by a fish, which gave him the opportunity to apply that to his case. He was drowning, and God says, I'm giving you giving you a pause in the drowning. Giving him an opportunity to repent. Giving him an opportunity to relent. Giving him an opportunity to let God work in him and change him. The fish is a gift. Did he repent? Did he? Maybe. Depends on how you read it. Maybe not. Depends on how you read it. But I'm reminded, rend your hearts and not your garments. Sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken heart. And I don't know that I see that in Jonah. Part of how I feel like I can say this is because Jonah did this beautiful, eloquent, formal, poetic prayer. And the very next verse, we're told, Yahweh commanded the fish and it puked. Your verse probably said vomited. The word in Hebrew is a little terse. Poetry, 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 not technically repentance, but it could be seen that way. I will vow and I'll make good on my vows. What vow is that? The vow. And I know that I'll look in your temple again if you just get me out of this fish. Poetry, poetry, poetry. And God goes, puke. Fish vomits him out. I think that's an accurate assessment of God's take on Jonah and his prayer. Which leads me to say, before we just pick on Jonah, where are we at ourselves in relationship with God? Maybe spend a little bit of time right now, this week, and think, where am I in relation to this fish? Have there been gift fishes in my life that I haven't blessed and praised God for? Well, they were blessings to me, but I, I'm still complaining about them. I'm still saying, I don't, I don't like this, and I don't like this, and I don't like this. And maybe you're missing the fact that God brought that into your life for a reason. Maybe, maybe see what God has to do in that for you. Are you at a place in your life where, where God doesn't have to send any gift fish? You're walking with him? Are you at a place in life where God sends a gift fish, and your response is such that God makes the fish vomit? Where are you at with the Lord? Impressive looking, not very impressive looking, walking with him, not walking with him, disregarding quietly, hoping that if you're not thinking of him, he won't think of you. It's worth stopping and think, rather than just say, Jonah is messed up, rather say, you know what, Lord, I don't want to be messed up like that. I want to be in right relationship with you. If I'm in a fish, I want to realize it's a blessing. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that I thank you that you allow really unpleasant things in our lives. Because this whole place is broken, and we know that. 
But I thank you that there are some things that you provide, that you count out and you manna off to us. Even some things that we don't appreciate or that we get tired of. I pray, Lord, help us to honor you by looking at our lives and saying, what have you brought into it that I can honor you with? Help us, Lord, to place you first and foremost and to live like that matters to us. Help us to appreciate your grace to us. Forgive us for our sins to the degree to which we have already forgiven those who have sinned against us. So give us your grace toward those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.